Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Wednesday, today we're going to preview USC's upcoming game against the Colorado Buffaloes. Of course, USC going to Boulder this Saturday to take on the Buffs. A win means USC wins the Pac-12 South title. So obviously a very important game in the Pac-12 South. We're going to talk to Adam Munster-Tiger, who publishes BuffStampede.com, coming up in just a minute about the buffs get to get a feel for what this team is like and what usc will face come saturday if you have any questions or comments you can email us podcast at uscfootball.com or you can call us at 424-254-9141 that's 424-254-9141 you can call leave a brief voicemail or you can text us at that number as well, And after we talk to Adam, I'm going to answer some of the leftover questions that you sent in uh, after USC's win over Arizona. So we'll have like a solo podcast segment about that a little bit uh, later on. Probably tomorrow we'll have a USC recruiting podcast as well. And we still have the Family Feud podcast coming up. We'll have our Facebook live show Thursday at noon, also noon Pacific time. Uh, with Keeley, uh, Shotgun, and myself. So go check that out on our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash uscfootball.com, spellout.com. But you can find us. We do our live show every Thursday, and it's, it's fun. We answer your questions live and, and have a really good time with that. Okay, and before we talk to Adam Munster-Tiger about this Colorado game, I wanted to let you know about SeatGeek. If you want to buy tickets to a sporting event or a concert, it can be complicated, but there's a better, simpler way to buy using SeatGeek. It's the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seat at the best prices, and it's fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like the Trojans in person, and SeatGeek will help you get you closer to the action. So I have SeatGeek app on my phone looking at it right now. Um, So, of course, the only home game left is uh, UCLA, at the Coliseum. So tickets for that one start at $91. Hey, if you want to be out in Colorado, you can get tickets starting at $52. And uh, they'll have tickets for the Pac-12 championship game as well if you want to go check that out. But it's great if you look at the, the app. It'll show you where the seats are, if it's a good value or a bad value. So it'll kind of recommend you, hey, if you're this is your price range. These are the seats that you'd want to get. So pretty cool. And then best of all, all of our Peristyle podcast listeners are going to get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. So just download the SeatGeek app on your phone, enter promo code USC. That's pretty simple, right? Enter promo code USC. That's promo code USC for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Okay, as promised, we are joined by Adam Munster-Tiger. He does a great job covering the Colorado Buffaloes. He's been the publisher of Buff Stampede since 2003. You can follow him on Twitter at AdamCM777. What's up, Adam? How you doing? I'm doing excellent, Ryan. How are you? Can't complain. It's uh, I can't believe college football is winding down. I mean, like it just seems like it just started, you know? It goes by with the blur. There's no question about that. <laughs> well, this is uh, it's been an interesting season so far in the Pac-12 South. Uh, USC's on the verge of clinching. The magic number, I guess, is one. Obviously, the Colorado Buffaloes uh, stand in the way. Wanted to kind of talk to you about the about the team a little bit. Do a little uh, game preview, if that's cool with you. Sure, absolutely. Sounds good. Um, so kind of looking at this Colorado team, I think coming into the season, you felt like the offense was going to take a big step forward. Uh, Steven Montez, who was kind of you know sharing duties with Stefa Lufau, and Philip Lindsay is going to be a senior. seemed like the offense was going to carry this team. The defense had a lot of seniors uh, that they lost from last year. Um, Jim Levitt, you know, leaving. It, it seemed like there might be a little bit of a step back on the defense. How have you felt this kind of team evolves over this year? Was it really the offense kind of carrying the way and the defense kind of lagging behind a little? Not really. It's been the most bizarre season that I've covered, and I started covering Colorado back in 2003, so a pretty 
uh, sizable sample size there, it's been the hardest team to kind of put my finger on and get the pulse of. And even Mike McIntyre, CU's head coach, said it in the preseason, this is going to be a different team than last year. Like, alluding to your point there that our offense is going to have to carry us in games the way our defense did a year ago. And they come out the gates and they win their first game 17-3 to and everybody's kind of scratching their head and going, huh, this wasn't quite the explosive offense we were expecting and this was not. This is not the defense we were expecting. And it's, it's changed a little bit. Uh, as they've gotten into conference play, the offense has had some big games. Um, and even a game where they lost against Arizona, they put 42 points. And that, those are the type of contests we kind of expected, the 45-42 type games. And there haven't been many of them this year. Um, they did get blown out um, by Washington. They got blown out at Washington State. So there's been times when the defense has been as poor as we thought, but other times when they, they've looked much better than we thought. Uh, last week was a pretty good uh, kind of a microcosm of the season. They basically shot themselves in the foot early. Should have been up 21 nothing early on Arizona State, but a couple drops, a couple missed fires from Steven Montez only had them up uh, by three points at halftime, and then the Arizona State offense kind of wore down Colorado's defense as they went along, and Demario Richard went beast mode in the fourth quarter. And that, that's been Colorado's biggest consistent weakness has been their run defense this year. They're, they rank in the hundreds there, 11th in the Pac-12. Only UCLA, which is historically bad in that sense, is worse than, than Colorado in the Pac-12. So, again, looking to this Saturday in the matchup against USC and Ronald Jones, that makes you feel kind of uneasy if you're a Colorado fan because they haven't proven – to stop other talented backs, and certainly Jones is one of the best out there. So that's got to be the, the the biggest concern and the biggest key going into into the Saturday's game. Yeah, the uh, it was funny. So I'm watching Stephen Montez this year, and it just seemed like a slow start. But I guess it was two weeks ago. He just or a couple weeks ago, he kind of just went off, and like it seemed like okay, this is what we expected. Because I mean, last year when he played USC, didn't have a great game, but it was like he was coming in, and it was just this shared. It felt like. If he was just going to be given the reins, Montez was going to was going to go nuts. It, I guess it took him a little while, but it seems like he's playing really well now. And in the run game with Philip Lindsay, he's you know he's a stud, 133 yards a game. Does it seem like the, this offense is really kind of clicking right now? It's starting to. Yeah, they, they did. I mean, they did get shut out three weeks ago at Washington State. So again, it's, the consistency isn't quite there. They, again, they should have been up by a lot more than they were at Arizona State yeah. to kind of put that away early in that game. So. Um, they still at times shoot themselves in the foot. Montez, uh, the expectations were high for him coming into this season because when he had replaced Sefa Lufau at times last year and was given a week to prepare, knowing that he was going to be the guy, he had some really quality starts, and he's got a lot more talent than, than Sefa Lufau did. But Sefa Lufau had that intangible, that toughness factor to him that sometimes t- tough to quantify. Montez has, has almost got too much arm strength. At times he kind of waits for his guys to get open almost kind of like in a Colin Kaepernick way. He doesn't really anticipate things all that well, and he's struggled with reading defenses and coverages, which has frustrated Colorado's coaching staff, and they actually opened up the quarterback competition after they did get shut out in Pullman. So um, his job is not as safe as maybe his numbers should would indicate that he should be. I mean, his passer rating is still pretty good. It's in the top half of the Pac-12. Um, and he's had some really good – improvisational skills that he's shown on the field when plays are broken down. But again, it's just not the consistency factor there. It hasn't helped, Stephen, that the offensive line for Colorado has underperformed. This was a group that brought back four of their five starters from last year, and that new fifth uh, starter is a fifth-year senior. Uh, So you expected that group, they were lauding it to be maybe the best offensive line Colorado's had since 2001 when they last won a conference championship. And that group has not come anywhere near that. They actually gave up as many sacks through uh, six or seven games um, this season. I think it was seven games this season as they did in, in 13 a year ago. So not only have they not gotten better, they've regressed this year. And, and so at times that's tough when you have a sophomore quarterback that can't quite trust the line in front of them. Um, and then that group has suffered some injuries. Tim Lenat, arguably their best offensive lineman, who's played at both center and right guard this season, suffered a torn Achilles out in Tempe last Saturday, so he's out for the season. So that's a group uh, I talked about Colorado's run defense being a weakness. Colorado's O-line now, especially with Lenat out, is the big weakness on that side of the ball. The uh, Yeah, I mean, it seemed like after that, it was like a monsoon game against Washington State where, yeah, they got shut out. But that quarterback competition seemed to kind of boost up 
Montez. I don't know. We'll see. But that one pass he had, so, you know, three, if for people who don't know, three great receivers, Shea Fields, Bryce Bobo, Devin Ross. It was going to be an 80-yard bomb against Arizona State that hit Shea Fields in the numbers. It was a perfect pass. There was no one within like 20 yards. I think it was a flea flicker. He just flat out drops it. You're like, oh, that it, rarely do you see just seven points just poof, go away. Yeah, and like I said, they, they should have been. Devin Ross later took, uh, dropped a touchdown pass, and uh, Steven Montez misfired on a couple of throws near the end zone. They, they're up 21 nothing. That game probably uh, results in a win for them. Instead, obviously, they, they lose at Arizona State. If Colorado can't win one of the next two games, then they get shut out from bowl eligibility. That play to Shea Fields is going to be a play that Colorado fans remember for a long time. Yeah, uh, It's very uncharacteristic. Shea Fields has dropped way more passes this season than he did his first three years on campus. I don't know what that is. That group you mentioned, they're super talented, but that's another group that hasn't quite lived up to the hype. They, they've put up numbers, but they actually had a lot of drops as a group. And uh, I don't know if they were reading their press clippings or what, but Bobo, Fields, and Ross were a better trio last year than, than they've been this year. Yeah, what you mentioned the sacks. Uh, I believe 31 sacks allowed. I think USC's leading the nation like 33 or 34 sacks, so that's certainly going to be something uh, to watch. USC's kind of banged up on the defensive line, so we'll see how that kind of plays out. Uh, but on the defensive side, uh, giving up 381 yards, rushing yards to ASU, obviously not not great. Uh, you know, when you play like in Arizona, you're going to give up a lot of rushing yards. ASU hasn't been a great rushing team, and USC's been running the ball well. Ronald Jones has over 400 yards the last two weeks. Um, what can this Colorado run defense do to try to slow down what USC has been doing you know, lately? Cross their fingers and pray. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, I don't think I, I, there's no way they're going to stop Ronald Jones to somehow limit him to, I mean, you would almost take 130 yards given up to him, given you know how much success he's had and how much Colorado's defense has struggled in, in run defense. And it's not necessarily a scheme thing. If you watch the Arizona State game when they were, running for, for huge chunks of yards, they're basically bulldozing Colorado defenders on their way to those yards. It wasn't like there were these wide-open gaps that uh, they, they were finding these lanes. Um, so that's the most disconcerting thing. If Colorado wasn't in the right spots, then you go, well, you just need to fix, fix that up schematically. Uh, but they were right there, and yet Demario Richards is just running over guys. Colorado just does not have the size or talent on their D-line to compete with the Washingtons, the USC's of the world right now. And you even saw that last year, as magical a season as they had in 2016, winning 10 games, winning the South Division. When they went up against Washington in the Pac-12 title game, when they went up against Oklahoma State in the Alamo Bowl, you saw that weakness exploited, and and they lost their three starting defensive linemen last year. So uh, they tried to rebuild that group through the junior college ranks, and, and yeah, Maybe you need to do that one one or two guys a, a recruiting cycle, but they've made that too much of their focus. They have not done a good job of recruiting prep defense alignment um, under Mike McIntyre and their D-line coach, Jim Jeffcoat. They've done an excellent job of reloading in the secondary. I mean, they had three defensive backs drafted, and yet that group has been one of the better, you know, top half of the Pac-12 secondaries after losing all that talent. So they've done a really good job recruiting there. Their linebackers are pretty good, too. It's just it's up front defensively. Um, and I talked about their offensive line struggles. When you have both lines underperforming, it's just really hard to win football games or be consistent in the Pac-12. Uh, who were a couple of the standouts on the uh, the Colorado defense? Who guys have kind of stepped up and uh, played really well this year, you think? Their best defensive player is Isaiah Oliver. He's uh, actually a decathlete on CU's track team. Oh, wow. and done really well in that regard. Um, and he's just a freak athlete, but he's missed the last two games uh, with an unspecified lower body injury. Uh, <laughs> Mike McIntyre said they didn't know until five minutes before the ASU game that he wasn't going to go, which is a lie because he wasn't warming up. So uh, they, they clearly knew at some point before that, but it, he made, by him making that comment, it sounds like it was more of a game day type of thing. So maybe he'll be back this week. McIntyre, like a lot of coaches, start to get kind of tight-lipped about the injury situation, unless like we're not a you know a guy goes out for the season, so we don't know if he's going to be out there. That that would obviously be a big boost for them because they all lost Brian Moeller. There they call him a buckbacker. It's basically um, a lot of programs might call it a rover. It's a guy kind of a hybrid uh, piece that they uh, really use utilize his versatility. He's a senior with a lot of experience. He's definitely uh, it sounds like he's going to be out this week on Senior Day. So unfortunate for him. 
Um, in terms of uh, guys that are healthy that are really good, Evan Worthington, uh, again, a hybrid guy, can, can play safety, can even come up play nickel, even in a pinch, can play cornerback. He served a year-long suspension and came back just really fired up and, and refocused and, and more mature. And he's looked, if you remember, Cheeto Bayouze, who was Colorado's best defensive back uh, yeah. the previous three years before getting drafted by the Cowboys. He's very much in that same line of player, just really explosive, versatile again, and he's made quite a few plays. Derek McCartney, who's been uh, a mainstay on Colorado's defense, aside from part of last year when he suffered a torn ACL, has started to show the old signs of Derek McCartney. He had a, a career-high 14 tackles on Tempe last week, two really big pass breakups on third down. So it looks like he's now in week nine, week ten, uh, finally you know, becoming the, the player he used to be, and he's a senior on uh, senior day, so you know he's going to be playing with a lot of motivation. And then inside linebacker, they've got a couple guys. Ricky Amboa is their, their middle linebacker, the quarterback of the defense. He is more brains than, than talent in terms of athleticism. He, he knows where to be, but if you get him matched up with the wrong guy, he, can, he can't cover guys, and, and he, he's had issues in that sense. But uh, the other inside linebacker, Jewel Lewis, is kind of the opposite. He looks to Rick Amboa to tell him where to be, and he can fly around sideline to sideline. So they've got talent at linebacker. And then going back into the secondary, again, it's, it's the D-line uh, that, that is not all that talented of a group. Uh, I want to talk special teams a little bit. Uh, it seems like CU's got a pretty good punt returner and a, a 30-year-old kicker. Maybe you can talk about those guys a little bit. <laughs> yeah, Ronnie Blackman has stepped into the punt return role since Isaiah Oliver has been injured the last couple of weeks. And, yeah, he's pretty good. He's averaging eight yards of return. Um, he, he was somebody, if you throw in his high school film, it, like probably two-thirds of his highlight reel was him just housing kick returns and punt returns. <laughs> um, so he, he's pretty good there. Uh, but he hasn't really – I think he, he broke a 40-yarder, but not, not, he hasn't uh, gotten to the end zone or anything like that. Um, and then, yeah, they've got a, a 30-year-old place-kicking uh, true freshman from Australia named Jim Stefano, who we thought was going to struggle this year because even though they closed practices at Colorado – they would end early sometimes. So you would get there early, and you'd sit outside the gates, and you'd be working. And you'd, I heard a bunch of times the coaching staff say, look, if we make this field goal, practice ends early. And practice never ended early. So we're thinking, okay, this is going to be a real weakness. And But but James Stefano, ever since uh, missing a, a kick in the uh, first game, has been pretty much automatic. He's 16 of 18 right now. His uh, That's 88.9%, which is the best in the Pac-12. And he's made all of his extra points. It's just been a really solid solid kicker for them. Yeah, it's a really weird story. He was a professional soccer player for about uh, seven or eight years. And he, I don't know if you're familiar with the Pro Kick Academy in Australia, but they've produced a lot of yeah. punters that have been really, really successful. Utah consistently goes over to pull those guys. Um, and uh, he's one of the first kickers they've actually produced. Even though it's called Pro Kick, it's mostly been a, a punting academy. Uh, but he's, he was just messing around with a buddy at a park one day, and he was having really good success kicking it through this makeshift uh, uh, field goal post, and uh, he ended up joining that academy, and uh, a year and a half later ended up signing with Colorado. So it's a really cool story, and, and he's going to be uh, 34 years old when, he, when he's done with the Buffaloes, unless <laughs> I guess he leaves early for the NFL. So, but, you know, but yeah, it's been, it's been a, one of the, the good bright spots for Colorado this year has been the consistency of, of James Stafford yeah, crazy. Um, you, you mentioned a couple of the injuries. It's, see, I was looking at the chart, like who's been starting every game. It seemed fairly consistent. Uh, you mentioned, you know, a, a more recent one on the offensive line, but it seems like injury wise, it seems like most of the same starters have been kind of there every week. Am I wrong on that? Or yeah, it's been well. The O line, it seems like there's been shuffling one new guy every week. Huckins, uh, their starting center, had missed a couple games. Jeremy Irwin, their left tackle, was suspended for the first two games. So. They've shuffled a little bit more on the O-line than they have other places. Yeah, defensively, uh, until Isaiah Oliver went down and then Ryan Muller, as I mentioned, they pretty much run with the same group defensively uh, throughout the season. So I guess that happens. You know, we're, we're like, going into week 11. So, yeah, I mean, they're relatively healthy. I think losing Tim Lanato and, and Oliver maybe not being 100%. Those a couple of their best players. So they're, they're definitely not uh, feeling as fortunate as maybe – um, some other teams would if they only had you know two or three guys that, that had been banged up. Yeah, kind of the key. You could have a lot of injuries. You could have key injuries, and the key injuries usually hurt more. Yeah. Uh, I know we got to let you go. One last thing. Um, so Colorado's never beat USC 0 and 11. 
It's going to be senior day. Uh, they're you know, going to be running out behind Ralphie for the last time with you know, the greatest tradition. I love that. Um, bye week, you know, the weird bye week. USC doesn't have a bye week until before the championship game. Colorado's is almost as bad. They get a bye before Utah. So at least you get the the, the mountain like rivalry uh, before that. But it seems like this team's playing better. Uh, obviously left some points on the board last weekend, but it just since that Washington State game, it seems like this team is playing better. I don't know what, what's the motivation factor like. How do you think this is going to turn out? Well, the motivation factor is couldn't possibly be more. You mentioned Senior Day. This is Philip Lindsay's last game. We, we, we haven't talked enough about him. He's un, unquestionably the one of the uh, the guys that has endeared himself more to the fan base than, than any player that, that I've seen that I've covered. He's just such a relentless player and, and wears his heart on his sleeve, and it's going to be his last game. And There's 20 other seniors, obviously, and they need one more win for bowl eligibility. This would be the first back-to-back both teams in, in terms of the CU program since 2004-2005. So it's been a really long time since this program's going to, gone to bowl games in back-to-back years. So that would be a huge thing. And, uh, yeah, so the, the motivation is there, and I would expect them to, to really put up a fight and make this a competitive game. USC is 11-0 and all-time against them. Colorado has played them closer the last two years. They've lost those two games by a combined seven points, but – Ronald Jones, the way he's running the ball, the way Colorado can't stop the run, I just don't think there's any way you can possibly pick Colorado to win this football game. I, I think USC probably wins somewhere in the range of 10 points, maybe up to that 14-point that spread. I think it's, what, 13 and a half, in the, kind of in that range. Yeah. So I, I think it's going to be a two-score game, but I, I don't think it's going to be one of those games where USC just kind of blows uh, the door off and, and blows them out the way they had, obviously, when, when Colorado had first joined the Pac-12. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat there, but who knows? We, we, we think we know. We never know. <laughs> That's just what we think. Yeah. Uh, but Adam Munster Tiger does a great job, publisher of Buff, Buff Stampede. Uh, check him out on Twitter. Follow him at AdamCM777. Hey, Adam, thanks so much for spending some time, and uh, enjoy the game this weekend. Of course, Ryan. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much, Adam. Hey, everyone else, we'll be back in a yep. minute. Going to answer some of your questions. Listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So, for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Okay, we are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Going to answer some of your USC football questions you guys have sent in after the game. Uh, of course, USC beating Arizona 49-35. to So we have, uh, I think we got one voicemail, text or two, and then a bunch of email questions. So I'm just going to jump right into it, and we'll, uh, we'll get going. Let's see, we got... We'll start with Don. He said, uh, was Coach Hyde as harsh on Pete Carroll and his staff as he has been on the last three coaching staffs? What is the over-under on the number of caps slash hats that Dan has? Uh, he seldom wears the same one twice. And Helton appears to be on solid ground again, but he needs to upgrade the offensive coordinator next year as he will always be just a very good team that does not meet expectations. He just makes some very bad play calls inside the five-yard line. From Don. Okay. Um, as far as Coach Harvey Hyde, I've been so it's been ten years with the coach. Um, you know, so we started uh, in two thousand eight. So Pete Carroll was still around. Um, I think he's just always been the same guy. He's like, you know, he's going to tell you like it, like it is. It's not. He's not being hard. I don't think it's just he's not sugarcoating things. He's not just going to tell you maybe what you want to hear. He's going to tell you, hey, if you see something wrong. And I think towards the end of the Pete Carroll, there was plenty of things that were wrong as well. Um, as far as the number of caps that Dan has, uh, Shotgun's the one that has like 130 of them or something. Shotgun has a whole bunch. Dan, I think Dan has a bunch too, but I usually see kind of the same ones. So, so you, know, you can see the kind of same rotation. Shotgun, I would say, the one that has more caps uh, than anybody. Let's see. Uh, as far as the offensive coordinator position goes, now I think T. T. Martin's doing a, a good job. I think the problem is, and we've talked about this a number of times, 
I don't think he's calling all of those plays. I don't think when you get down inside the the five-yard line, those are necessarily his. So it's not just about the play call. I just feel like there's some... There's a little bit of disruption uh, with the team where if you have one guy just making all the calls, it does seem like you know Tyson Helton calling some third down, maybe Clay Helton stepping in on some other downs. It's it's it just doesn't seem like it's cohesive to me. So um, I wouldn't. I think it's simple to just say, oh, just blame uh, T. Martin, but I wouldn't really. Uh, I wouldn't really go that far. Let's see. We got Rich. Um, he says it seems very clear to me from the outset replacing three offensive linemen has been very difficult, particularly when combined with the nagging injuries and no bye week. Ronald Jones II does not run for 194, nor does any running back without the offensive line opening holes. I actually think this offensive line is better than last year, but it's taking them six to eight weeks to show it. I also think the linebacker core uh, is better mainly through maturation, yet what is a glaring uh, is Darnold's erratic play, mainly in the turnover department, which was not on display last year. Clearly, he has a very talented quarterback and a leader uh, because of that. Along with the talent surrounding him, he's been able to overcome some spotty play. They should be 9-1 and one as the WSU game was winnable, if not for the injuries. That said, I'm still scratching my head over the performance on both sides of the ball versus Notre Dame. Even at full strength, they do not win that game. Is that part of their identity, or have they uh, repaired and moved on? Rich Gonzalez from... Michigan SC class of uh, 65. Okay, so a lot in there, Rich. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think the way USC played that day, they would have beat just about anybody. But if you look at the whole schedule, you say they could be 9-1. Well, they could be 6-4, and four too. Um, I mean, won some games they shouldn't win or likely shouldn't have won um, the way they played. Not that they shouldn't have. They weren't the better team. Um, it's just, it's been very inconsistent. And I think I thought they played really well twice. That was Arizona State and Stanford. Uh, they played pretty good against Arizona, um, but there were some lapses uh, there as well, leaving a lot of just yards on the on the table. Points, you know, they they left out that they, they could have scored more. Bad in the red zone. Um, yeah, I think there's a, a lot of issues there. As far as like, I don't think they're thinking about the Notre Dame Notre Dame game now. They have the the sights of winning the Pac-12 South, and there's you know even an outside chance of making the college football playoffs. Still, um, we got a question about that a little bit later, but. Um, yeah, Rich, thanks for the, the question there. It's I just would say you can't look at this team as here's what the team is, and they're the same from week to week. It's pretty different from week to week. It's kind of like my golf game from day to day. It just it just changes. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. And unfortunately for USC this year, it's been not as good more often than not. Now, they got wins, but they just didn't look very good. Bill from San Jose, a.k.a. Trojan War Machine. I love all the podcasts. You guys are awesome. Nice shot of Keeley on national TV the other night during the game, too. Um, yeah, so Keeley films in the end zone, if you don't know. And uh, she usually gets on there uh, on the TV broadcast every once in a while when they're when they're scoring. She's trying to film where USC is heading in. So when USC gets close to the goal line, look for Keeley in the end zone. He said, I'm wondering if we'll see the return of Porter Gustin, Christian Rector, and a few others at the game in Santa Clara, maybe holding uh, most of the walking wounded back for three weeks rest and rehab before unleashing them on UW, Wazoo, or the Cardinal. Maybe we see a couple guys for a few plays to get the rust off versus UCLA, but I would think three weeks of rehab ought to really make the difference in some of these guys. Also, there are some guys with nagging injuries that have been playing. Do you think we ought to rest, uh, maybe get them out for a series or two? Thanks and fight on. Uh, Trojan War Machine. Thanks, Bill, for that. Um that's an interesting point because they, that's where the bye week is coming. And if you want to, you know, Colorado's not been great. They're 5-5. Five and five. Uh, UCLA, obviously, is just kind of tanking right now. But I don't think this team is playing well enough to, like, rest able bodies. Um, for, like, a Christian Rector, uh, you know, he had the, the hand injury. Um, it's all wrapped up. And, you know, sometimes you can play with a club. Uh, they, it looks like they're kind of holding him on that. But I get the feeling he would be back at least by then. Porter Gustin, it's hard to say because, I mean, he was out, you know, five, six weeks, didn't practice at all, comes back and plays, and basically re-injures it again. Um, it's, you know, be less than five or six weeks before you'd have to play in the Pac-12 championship game. So I'm not really sure what's going on there. Did they bring him back too early? I mean, it's it's really hard to say. You would kind of lean towards yes, that maybe, maybe they did. The fact that he didn't practice. So just think about this. So the uh, Port Augustus put on pads 
twice uh, since week three, since the Texas game. So the first half of the Texas game, he was wearing pads. Then he didn't wear them again after that. Didn't wear them in any practice at all. And then for the ASU game, he puts pads on and goes out there and plays. Um, so hasn't practiced at all. I don't know. I mean, it, because he played for a little while and got you know and got injured again or, or re-injured it, they're probably going to be less likely to uh, to let him go. Uh, we talked about this in the war room a little bit, um, but my guess is right now you're not going to see him. But who knows? You know, we just we haven't seen him practice. Um, and we're not seeing him practicing until he gets out there and practices. I, th- I think it's hard to just stick him in the game. So we'll see that bye week uh, heading in. If they make it the Pac-12 championship game like everyone expects, we'll see if he comes back. If he doesn't practice that week, then I don't think he's going to end up playing. All right, next up we got Ben. He said, Ben from Central Valley. Question has nothing to do with anything besides my own curiosity. What do you think is the likelihood of Cam Smith returning next year for a senior year and possibly even going to wear number 55? I think it'd be cool to see another USC linebacker wear number 55, or would you consider it a given that he'll declare for the draft? Thanks for the input, uh, Ben. Um, he's been, you know, obviously a, a really consistent and productive producer for USC, but I wouldn't say like some of the measurables that you look for in the NFL. It's not like he's going to be jumping off the charts uh, with those kind of things, like a big vertical leap or. 40-yard dash or any of that stuff. So I think there's a you know a good likelihood that he ends up uh, returning. I haven't really talked to him about it. Um, I haven't really thought about it, to be honest, all that much. Uh, but I, I kind of get the feeling he would return. I don't think he's going to change numbers. 35 is also uh, a number like players like Jeff Kopp and, and former USC linebackers have worn before. I know it became like a, a punter number or something for a while, but... It was a linebacker number before that, so I don't, I've you know he's never had any any indication of wanting to switch up numbers or anything like that. So um, yeah, I think uh, I think it's most likely that he ends up uh, stick with that number. And we'll see if he comes back, but I kind of think he will. Okay, next up is Brian and Baldwin Hills. He said, "Questions for Ryan Solo Podcast." Ryan, I don't think I ever heard your opinion on the Reggie Bush situation. What are your thoughts on him still being banned by the university? What are your opinions on him overall? Brian and Baldwin Hills. Yeah, I think it's ridiculous. Like, I mean, I think it's ridiculous. That's just, it's pretty simple with that. The fact that the NCAA made him a persona non grata around campus, like, he was ineligible, you know, for the benefits that his family took, right? You know, the punishments obviously was stupid when USC not, you know, how the USC is going to know what was going on. And Todd McNair's lawsuit will prove all that out eventually when it gets through. But, I mean, it's not like, I don't know what he did that you can make it so you can never talk to this guy and never mention him ever again. It just seems ridiculous. So totally overreaching. I think USC needs to push back on them and say, look, here's what we're going to do. We're bringing Reggie Bush back. We're, we're, we're going to talk about him again. We're going to be able to do all that again. And I think, you know, try to work something out with the Heisman Trust where they restore the Heisman, which, you know, he was offering to give it back. Just like, look, moved on. This has all been ridiculous. So... Um, let's go from here. So, yeah, that, I guess that's my quick opinion on that. Neil in Manila uh, said, is the game against Colorado a trap game? Emotional Pac-12 South wins. Different weather situation in Colorado being one way from bowl eligibility. So we talked to Adam earlier in the show, and uh, I think you get a feel for it. This is a, the team's going to be fired up for this one because it's senior day. Um, they really are. Uh, they're going to be honoring um, at halftime. Uh, members of the Athletic Hall of Fame. So that's going to be big. You know, Philip Lindsay's last game at home. And he's been, like like Adam said, just a fan favorite and just someone that's been great for everybody there. I mean, the way USC's playing, I don't know if there's any trap games because you have to worry about them all. But this is certainly a potential one where, you know, USC's favored by two touchdowns. And they mess around. Uh, Colorado gets on a roll. Starts running the football. USC's had some tackling problems. Philip Lindsay can have a huge game. Stephen Montez played really well since they threatened to bench him um, after getting shut out by Washington State. So they really shot themselves in the foot last week, losing to Arizona State. Um, and that's a pretty good Arizona State team, as you see. You know, they USC rolled them, but everyone else they've been playing really well. So yeah, I think there's that potential. So you got to you definitely got to watch out for that. Earl in West L.A. says, uh, I'm watching the replay of the third quarter when Khalil Tate fumbled, and I can't believe the mistakes the officials made. First, they missed the fumble. Second, they blew the whistle to stop the play instead of letting it play out as it could have been a scoop and score by Jack Jones. Third, he called 
They called Clay Helton, Clay Helton for unsportsmanlike conduct for running on the field uh, down to the 15-yard line to point out their mistake. Finally, when the call was overturned, making Helton right, they didn't even apologize for being wrong, but upheld the unsportsmanlike call. Earlier, Jones and Harris were called for some silly little dance that no one saw that was away from the ball. Dan Weber was right, uh, saying a seasoned official would have taken the players aside and given them a warning. The game tickets were incorrect. They should have said the officials in Arizona versus USC. Earl of West L.A. There were a lot of a comedy of errors uh, in that game by the officiating. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, it was disheartening. I actually emailed uh, uh, an official from the Pac-12, and we'll, we'll put the kind of response we got in the war room, but nothing that you would say like, yeah, there was admission of, of people doing things wrong. Now, they, they have to review these plays, and, and will that crew, like, get some, you know, demerits, get some, uh, you know, not be able to do the postseason? Uh, I would guess. I mean, it was really, really bad. They just they took over the third quarter, and that's not what you want officials to do. You want them to call the game straight, but not be the center of attention, you know. And they were the center of their attention because of what they did, not because of there was way too many flags or blah, blah, blah. Like, if, if the teams are playing poorly – and doing all kinds of bad stuff, and that's why the officials are center of attention. That's one thing. This was their own volition. They were the center of attention because of their own mistakes, not because of what USC or Arizona was doing. Steve has a real short question. Guys, can we beat UW? Um, yeah, dude. Uh, USC beat Washington last year at home. If they play Washington and Santa Clara, they might be the favorite in that game. Uh, you saw what Arizona State did to Washington. Now, USC can come out and, and lay an egg. But if USC comes out and plays well, certainly, I think they match up pretty well against Washington. It's just a team that, you know, USC's got a, a playmaking quarterback. Washington has more of a system quarterback. It's more He's more of a Cody Kessler kind of type. Is when things are on schedule and things are working well, they're fine. They're moving the ball. They run the ball. He can make some throws. But even when they're winning games, look at it. I mean, he's throwing for like, 11 of 20 for 194 yards um, with a pick and a touchdown. Like, he's not letting the, you know, setting the world on fire or anything. Jake Browning I'm talking about. So, yeah, I think USC matches up pretty well. Um, I think Washington can, can make the playoff, you know, but you, they got to go through USC. And I think if USC comes out and plays well, they'll have a bye week. Uh, Washington will be on a short week. Yeah, I think they got a really good chance. CWC says... Not enough attention on the missed uh, attitude of the refs towards USC. Purposely, the refs slowed down the game and let uh, Arizona back into it. Uh, right? It's the second week in a row where the refs are asleep and missed, uh, I think it means outright holds, and penalties the other team is committing. Uh, U of A was holding all over the place and no call. No way 14 penalties to, U- to UA's four, actually they had three, is legit. CWC. So, I... I yeah, I mean, I think the discrepancy was too much. Um, I just, I'm not saying it's like against USC. Like in that game, it, it certainly seems like it was. But there was other games where I felt like it was bad officiating that helped USC, like the Texas game. Um, even I think some in the Arizona State game. Now you look at the stats, though. Arizona and Arizona State. Arizona State's one of the most disciplined as far as penalty goes teams in the country. So they had above their average in the USC game. Arizona had below their average, but they still only average about five penalties a game, uh, where USC's up like nine, um, something like that. So, yeah, USC's got a lot of penalties, but I think a lot of that has to do with the Pac-12 refs. But there's a lot of Pac-12 teams that are in the, the very bottom of the conference in penalties and penalty yards, but there's a couple at the top, too, which is kind of strange. Let's go Jim B. He said, great podcast. Thanks, Jim. What's the deal with Connor Murphy and Wally Batiku? When Port Augustine was out, they took uh, an inside defensive lineman, Christian Rector, and moved him outside. When Rector was out, they took an inside linebacker and moved him outside. Uh, are we to surmise anything from that? I always heard that Batiku was kind of a cyborg when it came to athletic ability. Are they ever going to be starters uh, from Jim? Yeah, I mean, people ask kind of this question a lot. They've had some opportunities to be in there. I think Wally's first play, he got an offsides uh, against Arizona State. Yeah, you look at him. He's a freak. I mean, I was standing next to him late last week interviewing him because he played at Sarah. I was talking about Khalil Tate and, you know, arms. I mean, everything. He's just, like, jacked. You're like, man, this dude is a freak. Like, he looks way better than just about anybody you're going to see putting on pads. But he hasn't played like that. I think the same thing with Connor Murphy, who's got bagged up. He wasn't actually uh, practicing yesterday. 
Um, I think there's some potential there, but they got to get some more turns. Um, I just when they, I think they're in there, they just haven't produced. So it's going to be up to the coaches to make sure these guys develop. If they're not performing up to what the standards are, they have to you know they have to get there. But I think they're athletic enough. I think they're you know there's ability there, but they haven't had that kind of production when you get on the field. Hey Ryan, this is Deshaun from Fullerton. First time sending in a question. Uh, over the course of the whole season. I've heard so many fans who are sick of the play calling and knocking on T. Martin. It's time to credit him for the offensive offensive rhythm and tearing up defenses, or are we taking advantage of mediocre defenses the past couple of weeks? Thanks for your hard work, uh, Deshaun. Yeah, no, I, I definitely give him credit. I think uh, he showed, and, and again, how much, it's hard to say who's doing what, because you basically have three offensive people there, T, Tyson, and Clay, so all of them are involved, you know, but T's the, the one that's getting the blame and, and the credit. Um, but I think they all kind of have their hands in there. Uh, but I think, it, to me, it seemed like it flowed really well at Arizona State. They had a good game plan. What was stopping Washington? What was stopping Utah? They threw over the top. Um, you know, they, they got those intermediate passes. They kind of backed the defense off a little bit, took away what Arizona State was doing really well to slow people down. USC was able to take that away with the passing game, and uh, and that just opened things up. And then they started to run the ball as well. So I thought it was a great game plan, you know. And uh, you know, outside of some red zone troubles um, against Arizona, obviously they moved the ball really well. You have over 300 yards passing, over 300 yards rushing. Yeah, certainly you got to give uh, T. Martin credit there. So thanks for the question, Deshaun. Keep sending them in. We got Dave and Glendora. Hey, Ryan and Gang, can anyone tell me why Rojo was in the game running the ball with approximately two minutes left and a 14-point lead? For that matter, why was a limping Darnold in the game at that point? Uh, surely Matt Fink would have been capable of ending the game. Can you imagine if either of them would have been injured? Not very smart, in my opinion. Thanks for the great work you do, Dave and Glendora. Yeah, 100% agree. They do this a lot. It's uh, There's some reason just substituting isn't this team's strength. And uh, Now, Rojo went out for a significant portion of time after that 98-yard run. He was really tired, so they had that Akacentric Ware come in, and obviously Ware went over 100 yards as well. But, yeah, that's uh, I'd like to see him substitute more. I agree with you there. Joan uh, wrote in said, That was the longest, most boring third quarter in history. The refs did everything they could to stop our momentum, and they did for a while. Uh, as the frustration was palpable with both our offense and defense, granted, I guess SC got a little sloppy, but it was ridiculous, especially when Jack Jones picked up the fumble and could have gone for a, a scoop six. Why are the Pac-12s refs so bad game after game? I don't see this in other conferences. It's embarrassment. That's from Joan. Yeah. Um, I agree. <laughs> Joan, it was bad. We kind of talked about the refs and stuff. Um, they did, you know, I don't think it was on purpose, but they did kind of take away a lot of USC's momentum. And then once they kind of slowed the game down and bogged down, that's when Arizona started getting rolling too. So, I think it just kind of worked out that way. Um, it was pretty bad. Um, yeah, so it was bad. So we had, we have more, like Robin in Virginia, about the uh, the, the penalties as well. Um, yeah, I think we, we kind of talked about that. I don't, he's wanted to know if, if USC is disciplined enough. I, I kind of think they are. Like T. Martin talked about the holding call that wiped out the 98-yard Ronald Jones run, and he said, I don't know what to tell him because his, his hands were inside. He was moving the guy like we taught you teach him to, and they get a call for a hold, which it looked like he was doing everything right. So in situations like that, you're like, yeah, what are you going to do? I mean, it looks like you did things right. They threw the flag anyway. Jeff, the math teacher, said, I checked my DVR in the third quarter. took approximately 58 minutes of that. 15 minutes were actual football being played, and 6 to 8 minutes were commercials. The other 35 to 37 minutes, Pac-12 officiating. Fun. Uh, Pac-12 way after dark. Jeff, the math teacher. Yeah, I think um, look for uh, Shotgun's participation chart. I think one of the notes he has is how long uh, all the reviews and stuff took for the officials. There were like five of reviews in the game. It took a long time. So they certainly delayed the game a lot uh, in official time. Tyler and Sammamish, Washington. Serious question. How are the Pac-12 officials selected? Are they paid? Um you know, I think, Tyler, we might have answered this one uh, with with uh, Dan Weber. But, yeah, they're uh, – <laughs> they are paid. <laughs> they, 
there's <laughs> uh, we we talked about it a lot with Dan Weber, but it's uh, yeah, it's a paid position to get out there. Just don't look very well. Um, ben wants to know about Ben from Central Valley. Was it Jalen Green or John Houston who scored the touchdown on the block punt? TV, they said it was Houston, but Ryan tweeted it was Green. Just curious. Yeah, so they, they announced uh, Houston, but then we found out it was Green. Um, the guys on the sideline told us it was Jalen Green. They have similar, very similar body types. They wear the same number. So they just screwed that one up. I don't know if they fix. I think they didn't even fix it on the TV broadcast. I think they said when John Houston got the interception, they still credited him for the touchdown later on, but it was definitely uh, Jalen Green. Um John and Brea, how could Port Augustine be cleared to play three days after surgery, but he's held out playing now? Clearly playing against Texas was a huge short-sighted mistake. I don't think anyone in the stadium thought he should be playing in that game, yet he did. Different doctors. How much are these decisions up to the players, coaches, or the doctors? Uh, that's from John. Yeah, so this was a, this was I think it was a mistake having him play that quickly after the surgery. Um, was it a mistake after six weeks and playing against Arizona State because now he's out again? I don't know. I mean, maybe it was just a situation. You know, there was definitely doctors that were consulted. Has to get cleared by the doctors. Uh, if the player doesn't want to play, he's not going to play. And and the coaches, you know, make that determination. But I think Clay Helton will basically rely on what the doctors are telling him. Um, it's hard to imagine that the doctors said, yeah, play for sure, you know, four days after you had surgery on your foot. But apparently – uh, that's what it was. Okay, we got one last one. It's a voicemail question, and we're going to talk uh, some college football playoff. Here you go. Hi, Ryan. This is Daniel of Los Angeles. Uh, I'm going to make this quick. This is for it's a statement for uh, Dan Weber, Harvey Hyde, Weber has a podcast first. Um, USC must be in favor with the best with the I'm sorry football gods because it's rare to see a Pac-12 team move from number 17 to number 11. That tells me that the college football playoff committee is in favor of USC's schedule right now for them to pass them over the media darlings of Ohio State and Penn State right now. For them to do that, it means USC's two losses, two ranked teams hold weight versus the, the poor schedules that the, the Big Ten teams have played. So they're sitting in prime position right now with majority of the top ten teams playing each other this weekend. USC still has a great shot to make the college football playoffs because everyone's about to beat each other above them. Uh, Wisconsin plays Michigan, uh, Iowa. You have you have the uh, Georgia, Auburn, Alabama. Self to play Georgia, Auburn, Clemson, Miami, Florida State. It's, they're all about to tear each other apart. So if Washington Washington can win out and USC can beat Washington in the playoffs, I mean, uh, the Pac-12 championship, USC has a, a a very high shot of making the college football playoffs. Very high. Thanks. Good thoughts. Um, okay, thanks for the question. I would definitely disagree with you on very high um, just by winning out. Uh, we have not seen a two-loss team make the college football playoff. Um, and now there's been some carnage, and it's nice that USC's up to number 11. The only two-loss team ahead of them right now is Auburn. You know, and Auburn still has to play Alabama and stuff. But I'd caution you because it's going to be tough. I think multiple things have to happen for some of the teams above USC to fall below them. It's not just about there's, uh, you know, right now there's, uh, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. Uh, those teams, if they all lose, it's not like USC moves above all of them. So you're talking about an undefeated Miami team, undefeated Wisconsin team. Um, Notre Dame has one loss, but they beat the crap out of USC. So they probably got to lose two more times for USC to jump them. I think it's nice uh, to be, you know, knocking on the door of the top 10. And if USC wins out, we'll securely be in the top 10. I could see being like up to five, six, seven uh, fairly quickly. That's that, There's potential there. Um, but to get into that top four, like I said, it hasn't happened before with a two-loss team. Um, you know, what would have to happen? I think Auburn, you know, that's that's easy. Like, I, I think they're inflated. I think the committee, you know, not having like a Michigan ranked and having Auburn and LSU, LSU with three losses in there, it's like, eh, I'm not, you know, um, not a huge uh, fan of that. I mean, it's nice to be ahead of Ohio State and Penn State. I think the Big Ten, uh, you know, someone knocking off Wisconsin. Wisconsin's schedule is terrible. So letting them go undefeated and then like losing in the championship game to – uh, somebody like an Ohio State, you know, I, I think their resume wouldn't be all that good. USC doesn't have like top twenty-five wins right now. 
Uh, but they have they played a lot of the bowl teams, so they've they've played good teams like that, and we'll see some of those teams could kind of sneak back in. Um, you know, it's you know not having Stanford or Arizona ranked anymore certainly hurts a little bit, and we'll see what you know if those teams kind of end up moving up. You know, Washington's ahead of them, but that's easy. You know, you could beat Washington, uh, Miami, and Clemson. You know, both from the ACC. Um, so you know, you're going to need a little bit of work there. Uh, Oklahoma and TCU, both from the Big Twelve. You got to do a little work there. You know, those teams could like one could beat the other, and then they could play again in the championship game and knock each other off. Um, you know, Miami and, and Notre Dame are playing this weekend, so they end up playing each other. But still, neither one of those is you know with a loss is going to drop below USC, I would think. Uh, you know, in the SEC, you got Georgia and Alabama, both undefeated. I think getting two SEC teams would obviously hurt anyone's chances of making it in with two losses. Um, I think if you look at two loss resumes, if Michigan State runs the table, they'll probably have the best two loss resume. Um, you know, USC has Colorado and UCLA up next. Um, neither one's going to have a winning record this year if USC beats them. Uh, and then they'd have Washington, which is good. But um, yeah, Michigan State would have a ton of great wins and they're right behind USC. So if they make a run, and they finish with two wins and like beat Wisconsin and in the you know, they'll pass USC. So, no, I don't think this is like a great chance. Um, I think there's an outside chance, and they would need a bunch of carnage and some crazy stuff to happen ahead of them. But I think the focus has to be, and uh, Clay Helton was asked about this yesterday, just beating the teams on their schedule and doing that. And if you do that, you win the Pac-12 South, and you win the Pac-12. I think it's successful. Not winning the Pac-12 this season, I don't think would be as successful. So, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on that. But thank you very much for the question, and thanks uh, to our guest Adam Munster Tiger previewing USC and Colorado. Thanks to all of you for tuning in and uh, listening to our little Peristyle podcast show. Um, yeah, we're going to talk to Gerard Martinez. We're going to have our Facebook Live show on Thursday at noon, and of course, we're going to have the Family Feud podcast with Shotgun and Keeley coming up as well. So, stay tuned. Lots of USC content here on our podcast page. You can find us on peristylepodcast.com. We're on Audio Boom, Stitcher Radio, all those kind of things. And, of course, uh, we're always on uscfootball.com. So thanks so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.